Welcome back to Wine, Women, and Song, October edition. Yay! Uh, we are woman down yeah. tonight, uh, but tonight with me I have... Paige Stroop-Bittner. All right. Jessica Satava. Gabrielle Devere. Perfect. And uh, Heather, uh, who was planning on being here uh, this evening, is uh, pulled up sick. So that's unfortunate. But she gave us our theme, our playout song, so there we go. Um, our theme tonight is uh, Tempranillo Wines and uh, things Spanish as a result. Because um, uh, if anybody doesn't know, um, Tempranillo is basically like the red wine noble grape of Spain. Um, and I mean, basically it's like kind of their version of Cabernet Sauvignon, but it's not, uh, it's not Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> you know, it's a totally different grape. Yeah, it does not um, taste the same, no. <laughs> it does tend to have a little high tannic and a little high acidity. It's got racier acidity than Cabernet Sauvignon typically has. What is that? Um, mean? Hmm? Racier. Uh, I don't know. Like lighter, <laughs> higher levels of acidity, more, more present, <laughs> more present acidity, yes. higher levels of acidity. <laughs> you know, I like to call it racy, not because it's like sexy or something, but because yeah, right. um, but because it's it's kind of exciting. It's uh, you know, it's invigorating. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, the uh, the grape growing region for Tempranillo has grown throughout the world beyond just Spain at this point. But uh, we're gonna primarily, uh, well, we're gonna taste all Spanish Tempranillo wines uh, but because really that's still where it is most successful. Um, uh, the traditional region is Rioja, uh, which is kind of split into three sub-regions, um, Rioja Baja, uh, Rioja uh, Altaverna, Alta and uh, Rioja Alta. And um, they have different, you know, because Everybody's getting more and more subdivision of terroir is kind of how that's starting to come about. Um, with the Alta and the uh, Almavera tend to be uh, the higher acidic wines and the Baya a little maybe more fruity within the category. But then Rioja is also governed by a major traditional uh, governing force. They're all D-O-C-A wines, uh, which is I can't even remember what it all stands for, but it's the abbreviation <laughs> for that. Sorry, this is, is this is something I have to bone up for, you know, when I do eventually sit for some sommelier testing. But that's the higher level versus DO wines within the Spanish uh, governing system for viticulture. And Rioja has very strict, and they must make a ton of money because they've got some like really highly produced videos online that talk about all the stuff they do to govern the, the vineyards there and pretty high-tech stuff too um, but uh, regardless there's four basic levels of Rioja red wine which I'm going to talk about because that's what we're tasting tonight there's what's just called Rioja with nothing else and um, that has little or no oak and is usually aged a year to two years but usually on the lower end then you have what's called Crianza, which has to have minimum aging in barrel of one year, and then minimum bottle aging of one year before it's released. Then they have uh, a third, uh, the next tier up is called Reserva, 
this is actually where reserva means something. Uh, a lot of times we talk about reserva. Reserve. Reserve. It's not, <laughs> not just, you know, that it yeah. means something here. It doesn't, it's not just marketing. It's legal. So <laughs> reserva there means, again, a minimum of one year in um, wood and uh, barrels and two years in the bottle. Um, and the other thing is, there's a, they have to have a higher quality level of grapes than the Crianza. Okay. Um, and that's part of what the Rioja governing body, the DOCA, over, oversees. Then you have what's called Grand Reserva, which is the top, which is a minimum two years aged in oak and barrels, and three minimum of three years after that in the bottle. So um, part of the reason for that is, uh, I think we've talked about in some other ones uh, where the more oak you have, the more tannins you have. And so the more tannins that are present in the wine, sometimes it's a bit harsher to drink. And also, as I mentioned earlier about Tempranillo, it has a tendency to be high tannic and high acidity. So they're trying to make sure that they release these, whatever these wines are, closer to ready to drink. Okay. So. If you're just drinking a, a, a Rioja, no, no designation, mm -hmm. there's little oak, not much time, so drink it. In many ways, people think of it kind of like a Beaujolais Nouveau of the Rioja region, because there's not much been done okay. to it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that pure fruit of the, of the vine flavors. And I've talked a lot. So, um, <laughs> but it's kind of a complicated structure. Um, but then the other thing I'll talk about really briefly uh, in silence is that the other main growing region in Spain for Tempranillo is uh, Ribera de Duero, which uh, is a little bit west and south of the Rioja region, um, and it had grown in prominence. Um, and, and so those are the two main regions you'll find Tempranillo in Spain. You'll find them a lot of other places too. And uh, there were two other grapes uh, typically blended with um, Tempranillo traditionally, uh, Grenache Tinto and, gosh, the other one I'm forgetting, it's like Malsea, but I'll look it up and, and remind you later. Um, but newer wines have tended to be more and more 100% Tempranillo, although there are some many traditional houses that still do that red blend. Um, but that being said, uh, we mentioned Heather is uh, down for the count, so um, I think I'm going to call an audible, uh, literally, and um, call my uh, my mom into this podcast. So, uh, okay, call mom. Calling Noelle Carol Bittner, mobile. Mom? Hello. You there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Did you fall asleep? I'm just wondering. No. Nope. Okay. okay, good. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I've got you here on the podcast, uh, but our listeners don't uh, know you other than that you gave birth to me, obviously. <laughs> um, and I thought it might be nice for you to tell a little bit about your singing background, um, about how you used to sing with big bands, etc., before you decided to start having five children. Well, I actually started singing when I was three in a choir that was under direction. My first paid solo was at eight, and it was Old Holy City, and I sang in many, many places. And then after that, um, I went through all the 
the district and the state course competition and the church choir organization's competition. And then I discovered musical comedy. At 15, I worked with Ella Logan, who was a wonderful um, a woman almost the age I am now, in her 70s when I met her, who had sung on Broadway. And I was with Bert Lahr, and I was with Geraldine Page. And it was quite an experience as a 15 year old. Um, and at 16, I wanted to just leave school and go to New York. So my parents were very wise, and they took me to New York. And I spent the better part of a weekend in Greenwich. And then I decided that maybe I should come home and go to college first. <laughs> and the next day was very happy. Yes, I'm but sure. I probably scared many days away because I was known to just burst into song and sing when the mood hit me. And uh, I'm what's known as a classic romantic, and my husband is a closet romantic. <laughs> so, when we, so when we met up, we sang to one another, and that was a very easy way to begin to communicate. So um, I sang professionally with a woman's chorus um, till the third child came. And then it was just a little too much for me to be in rehearsal five hours a week with choreography and dancing and um, singing. So I gave that up and luckily I was singing in a church with someone who had gone to Eastman School for her master's in voice. And she and I became very good friends, and she, like my cousin, who had also gone to Eastman, kind of took me under their wing, and I started to sing more seriously. And um, our oldest child, earliest memories are of me singing the mother and the mom and the night visitor. Wow, that's such a fun awesome. one. And um, then I sang until our fourth child became very sick when he was 16, and I quit singing because I couldn't guarantee I'd be at rehearsals, and I thought it was totally unfair to say I'd be there and then had good reason not to be there. It wasn't fair to anybody else involved, whether it was the choir or the harmony or whatever I was singing or the obligata. It, it just wasn't fair not to be there, and I missed it terribly, but then in my 60s, I had a diaphragm um, problem and I have a dentist diaphragm now so I can really no longer sing because I can't produce the air to produce the, the solid sound and the support for the notes and I miss it terribly but I'm very blessed because see I have J.A. and <laughs> we don't talk that much about it but his sister used to sing uh, Colatura when she was in college but she chose the visual arts and over music and so we get to hear her sing every once in a while when she's had a, a, a drink or two or a glass. Of wine. <laughs> she really doesn't. She really doesn't sing like she used to. Sure. But I remember J.A. Uh, really before he could read, <laughs> and he would go to choir practice, and he would come home with the uh, lyrics to the song, and because he started at three also, just like his sister would, who was quite a bit older, and she could read, and she had no problem, but he would always have them memorized by the next rehearsal, <laughs> and he also cried all the way through his baptism. 
both the choir director and everybody for sure that I had produced the singer. Well, and it turned, I, I and it turned out to be so. I should have known that that song but, was uh, that story was coming out. But mom, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off before you tell another embarrassing story. <laughs> And um, we'll, we'll talk some more, but I thought first I'd, I'd play your selection and then we'll talk about it, okay? That's wonderful. All right, so just listen up and here you go. Singer is uh, Gabby wants to guess. Was that Caballé, the singer? Pardon me. With the singer Caballé, Montserrat Caballé. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Most doesn't breathe. I know, right? (laughs) I mean, come on. Good choice. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's gorgeous. So beautiful. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be sung. Not like you hear it on all those. Pop recordings. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Now, Mom, I know part of the reason you picked this was because I sprung this idea on you tomorrow morning. <laughs> I mean, tomorrow morning, this morning. <laughs> um, 
and so you were under the gun, so to speak. But I mean, you obviously listened to some a few recordings before you picked this one. So what what made you pick this piece? Your voice is broken up by the phone. Oh, I'm sorry. What I'm what made you pick this piece? Well, for a one that's totally besotten with Puccini, and a more and and just absolutely admires Leonard Bernstein. And then I thought, and Jay called me this morning, and then he said Spanish. And I often snobby about the Spanish, and I shouldn't be. So then I, I looked up the opera singers, and I read this woman's name, and I thought, Rita talked about her. Rita sang with her in the Tourette, in La Traviata. She was a maid in the bedroom scene. And I thought, I gotta listen to her. So I found the album, and there's 48 minutes of solid Puccini opera, aria, by her. And it's a wonderful album. So I went back and forth over the list, and I listened to it quite a bit. And then I thought, no, this is a very well-known aria, and it's a very short aria. And how many really know what it's about, and how many really know that it's a one-act opera? <laughs> and it's, it was produced at the Metropolitan about a hundred years ago. Yeah, like first and produced, yeah. So yeah. When I heard her sing it, and then I went and I listened probably to another half dozen or better people sing it, and I thought, no. She's cajoling because I can remember hearing this melody as a child. If you see, my dad listened to the Metropolitan Opera while washing his car on Saturday afternoon. That's how I learned opera <laughs> before I could understand what the music was about. But at any rate, I played it and I thought, she's really cajoling. And when I first heard it as a kid, I thought it was a mother pleading with a baby to go to sleep. It was hysterical. <laughs> Because it's not that at all. She's talking and she's trying to cajole her beloved father to give her permission to be married. And I can't think of a better diva song or a better <laughs> to sing this song with the drama. Well, and the, Je the, uh, Jessica would know all about that. She's sung this role. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a coquette, you know, that can really plead and play the part. You know, like, in, it's almost like a young woman talking to her sugar daddy rather than her father to get permission to marry this man. Yes, it's and a then the bargain that goes on yeah. with the plot, which is Dante, which I had the pleasure of studying for a year, about eight years ago, and of course for older citizens. Um, the whole thing just became great fun for me all afternoon. So I have oh. listened to it a great deal. Oh, that's good. And it's been a lot of fun. And Jessica, what were you going to say? You said... Uh... I was saying that I think it's a little seductive. It's kind of... Dirty. It's, it's my heart belongs to daddy. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So you're dirty, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And everyone thinks it's so romantic, yeah. which it is. Yeah. I mean, she wants to marry, what, yeah. Renucha, right? Yeah. But I like the idea of the sugar daddy because yeah. in a way, that's what Johnny is. Yeah. He is He's yeah. got the inheritance. Right. He's trying to get That's all yeah. that he's in. They're both involved in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it was a great piece, and I don't think you could have picked a better singer for it. Definitely yeah. um, great. Yeah, it's, uh, and she, well, she was known to do this a lot in concerts, too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 
Um, Aren't we all? I mean, I do it in concerts. <laughs> you know why you do it in concerts? Because everybody loves okay. it. It's pretty easy to sing, like on on the whole. And most it's difficult and, to do well. Yeah, and a lot of people know it. People even know if it they and they love it. Don't know opera that well. So I mean, you have to yeah. be like. It's definitely a great concert. encore piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. Also, because it's not that long. Correct. You can do it when you've already yes. sung. Yeah, you agree. Too much. Yeah, okay. I, I'm saying really this is not a really good song. Piece. So. <laughs> no, uh, really good I, for piece. The two times I saw Renee Fleming in recitals, she sang it as an opera. Yeah, it's um, a great opera. Yeah, it's a roll out of bed kind of a piece. Well, during the afternoon, I listened to three of her master classes, mm. both with men and with women. And the one thing that I that you might find interesting that if you haven't seen her do these. Um, her being she talks, to, she talks to you about letting the air come forth before the sound and as I watched her work with these students doing this and I and then I found later J.A. Um, on YouTube a recording of her singing this in concert and and I watched her do it and I watched her apply so easily what she did and she makes fun of the aria she introduces it and has the audience in laughter before she starts to sing it. So that just added to my merriment of the day. So thank you for asking me to pursue this today. It was fun. Oh, you're welcome. I know. That's, we always, at least for me, that's what happens. I fall down the rabbit hole when oh, I'm looking yeah. for selections. Yeah, and me too. Like, it takes hours to pick something because I keep listening to so many things that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I would, and unfortunately, I couldn't pour you the wine. But I know you're not a big red wine drinker anyway, so it's not so bad. No, I tend to drink uh, aperitif wine, white Chardonnay, because it has to be European <laughs> because I'm spoiled rotten. Occasionally, a white Burgundy and champagne. Um, but many years ago, when it was first really introduced in the United States, I started drinking dry fat. And dry fat is a sherry unto itself. It's a nutty, warm, medium weight with almost the color of honey. And my favorite cocktail is over fresh ice with a fresh wedge of wine. And it's good. Sherry's from Spain, so we're still I on know. theme. I know. So perfect. Yeah. Perfect on theme. Yeah. Well, Mom, thank you so much. I'm going to bid you adieu. Thank you. And, um, you know, maybe sometime. I look forward to listening to the rest of the broadcast. Good, yeah. good. All right, take Bye. care. Love you, Mom. Bye, Bye. I love you. Hang up. Well, that was fun and different. Yay. Yes. Yay. And in all the uh, excitement, I forgot to have us cheers the first oh, wine. Right. Well, we can still do yeah. that. All right, cheers. cheers. Well, she wasn't, she wasn't really tasting the wine anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think of this first wine? I like it. I definitely I think, think you're so. right in that the acidity is very bright, um, and it's I, I see. Yeah, and racy. I get I get like some tart cherry um, on the palate, and then but it's funny because the nose is a little bit more metallic to me. Yeah, I agree. Kind of like yeah, I think like, like flinty metallic, mm -hmm. not like. Yep, I know exactly. You know. Flinty was the mm -hmm. word on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, see. Mm-hmm. There we go. But you don't yep. taste it as much. No, you don't no, it doesn't it. come yeah. across that way right. on the palate. No, and it doesn't have a lot of fruit on the nose. It mm -hmm. has that mineral, flinty quality, and maybe a little bit of um, 
light, light florals. This is just very drinkable. I mean, yeah. I feel like I could drink this all day long. I just sit down, listen to some YouTubes, <laughs> drink a bottle. Fall down the rabbit yeah. hole. A bottle. <laughs> we could watch some uh, Montserrat Caballé. Oh my gosh. Master classes and drink a bottle of them. Yes. Yes. Spanish I want to hear this idea about the breath coming before the sound. That means. I'm not sure if, I mean, I, I didn't get the answer. I'm not sure because I know my mom and I know okay. the way she works. I don't know if she was watching Renee Fleming master classes oh, okay. or Montserrat Cabaret master classes. Well, I know, yeah. so I just that's why I wanted yeah. to clarify ah. because I know she some she jump started in talking to about Renee Fleming uh, and we did it. Yeah. I didn't know if she jumped to and just started using the pronoun her. Oh or right, her. right. So I'll follow through with her. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it is the you know rabbit hole that we were discussing anyway. It is. So, you it know. is. Um, but uh, but regardless, yeah. I mean, I, I work on that all the time. Mm-hmm. You work on setting the breath before yeah. phonating. Mm-hmm. The, the the turning when the air turns over before you start singing yeah. that like. Mm-hmm. But Caballé, like my favorite thing about her is, like what she does in between the notes. Mm-hmm. She, there's always like a if not a legato connection. You have like portamenti and everything, just like the shimmer of it, and the quality mm-hmm. is always. Um, I don't know the interconnectedness of her legato singing. I know, there's, it's just beautiful. No one quite does it the same way. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like her sound is so full and rich while at the same time being very slender. Mm-hmm. That's so rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rare. Yeah. I feel like so few singers have that. And it, what it does is it makes you think that she could sing anything mm-hmm. and be successful. It has that like, unbelievable flexibility that is truly rare. Mm-hmm. That's what made us such a bell contest goddess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, I'm going back to the wine. Yeah, sorry. It's I okay. got distracted yeah, by you, music. You know. That's all right. It's, it, was, it's, it was a different thing with the phone. It's hard to, for the person on the phone to know when we want to jump in. And so well, we didn't get to say maybe what we wanted to. women in songs. That so, is true. You know. mm-hmm. But uh, but so the wine, um, I agree. The fruit is very bright, um, and uh, I get I get beyond just cherries. I get things like raspberries and. Mm. Yes, I definitely get that too. Mine's gone, so I <laughs> don't know. Can't, what can't I, taste can't it. Can't it. Okay. To try it's again. definitely um yeah right. <laughs> it's it's definitely light to medium body too. Oh it's yeah, not yeah. A, it's and, it and looks it, almost like a pinot when you poured it in. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like a pinot to me because it was so light. It doesn't taste like one, but the tannins are pretty mild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they're there. There's a little woodsiness on the finish. Yeah. Too. Little bits of spice too, so it's, it's it's not it's not the most complex thing I've ever had for sure. But there's there's more than just bright tart fruit as well. Mm, it's yes. kind of nice. Agreed. I don't know if I could drink this all day, but I could certainly try. <laughs> I'm basic. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, right. You're basic. Oh, yes, that's always what I think of when I think of you, Jessica. <laughs> There she goes, basic Jessica. <laughs> basic Jessica. Maybe classic Jessica yeah, after yes. something happens, but yeah. Yeah. basic. But that's good. So uh, without further ado, we'll move on to number two.
pour that wine thus.
we ready to take a nap now? Wow, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Like Taunting. Uh huh. So that was mine. Yes. <laughs> Color me surprised. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is, um, it's actually, so it is a Portuguese. I went a little off topic, you know, off theme. Um, but it's a Portuguese lullaby called uh, Jose Embala o Menino. Um, it's actually can be considered a Christmas song as well because it's it's supposed to be Joseph. Leave it to you to bring Christmas in. I know, right? You know, Joseph <laughs> rocking. Halloween. Yes, but it's Joseph rocking the baby Jesus. But it doesn't. I mean, it, like I don't hear that and think Christmas music. Other than the little sleigh bells in the background. <laughs> Perhaps a bit. Um, <laughs> so who wrote it? Um, it's just a traditional lullaby. Ah. Um, but the singer is uh, Montserrat Figueres. So mm. that's the. Spanish connection there. She sounds beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So it was actually discovered by an ethnomusicologist. It wasn't performed for a long time until it was Mm -hmm. discovered by a Corsican ethnomusicologist, uh, Mm -hmm. Michel Giacometti. And so it wasn't until he discovered it that it started being set and performed. And that was like in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back when that was, back when ethnomusicologists were useful. <laughs> <laughs> or, or had, or had something to do. <laughs> no, it's just that, you know, it's, um, that I should say, I would more correctly say, if I think, they were much more in vogue in the 60s That's and true. 70s. Yeah. You know, they were a they hot were, commodity. And they were doing people a real were, service. They were People mm-hmm. were starting to value what they were doing, mm-hmm. so they were really mm-hmm. the hip thing. I know, I should retract my joke. <laughs> I just went to school with 10 too many of them. Oh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> Those bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I love this piece because it is, it's very haunting and very, and you know, and it has an early music quality. It does. It's yeah. an early music singer and it's a traditional lullaby. And um, Or they call them rock songs. Like, they do. rock the baby oh, lullaby. Love it. Yeah. And... I mean, if, if I could get a, like, slightly risque here, I started laughing because when I was, the only, um, uh, like, information I could find was on Portuguese Wikipedia, so I had to translate it, and I don't know if, if you did this too, Jay, <laughs> but it translates into, Joseph packs the boy. <laughs> Uh-oh! <laughs> it's literally the translation, Woo! right? Because, you know, it should be like, Joseph rocks the baby, yeah. but... Joseph packs the boy, uh, so uh, was, or cradles the boy. Things. Yeah, so that's a little, a little concerned. That's a little questionable at best. Yes. But it definitely felt Racy. religious, you know. Racy. Yeah, this yeah. piece felt very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it reminded me. It, it also reminded me a lot of, um, like Jess, you said, kind of like, or Gabby, I think you said like a meditation mm-hmm. type thing. Um, and it reminded me a lot of uh, Native American yeah. songs as well, sort of that like. Um, like her, her voice almost sounds like a flute at times, mm. and sort of like that very hollow yeah. sound. It's like, um, isn't it interesting? I feel like, uh, how would we know by the, whatever notation the musicologist came up with that those, those kind of like ornaments that she adds were supposed mm-hmm. to be there. I wonder if that's notated because I feel like it's so much like so many so so I, many other ornamentations. I would have to research more, but my guess would be that the ornamentations are not ornament are not notated. Mm. Yeah. And I would guess she made it goes back to 
Yeah, it goes back to other Educated research that, that mm. early musicians and ethnomusicologists yeah. <laughs> have studied the practices of, of that time, that era, maybe even those regions in other songs. There may be some other pieces of that era or troubadour songs or mm -hmm. etc. Mm. that would have that traditional ornamentation that was done. And then, you know, things like even Verdi, speaking of troubadours, would imitate when yeah. he wrote Il Trovatore and he notated them. Yeah. So that would have been the kind of thing that this artist, I'm sure, went to research to add those into mm -hmm. what to kind of what was discovered. In the time period as well. Correct. To, to, to dictate that they were older folk mm -hmm. pieces. Um, it, it, but it is interesting how it gets translated because I was listening to this and because of that particular ornament on that you're talking about, mm -hmm. kind of almost Gotrill esque um, I pinned it as an early music mm -hmm. selection, and I heard, you know, these sort of religious things, um, so I just pinned it as an early music piece because of that. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how folk music, you know, there's an overlay yeah. Yeah. because of, you know, they've been around so long. Yeah. Well, I thought that I was, like, haunting and sad. It felt, like, very, very like it's it had such I know it's Portuguese but it was interesting because what I know I was in Spain and Italy next to each other so mm -hmm. I went to Italy first and then I went to Spain and what I noticed about the difference between Spanish Catholicism and Catholic was that it Spanish Catholicism is very much like the Spanish kind of like culture in that it takes things very seriously mm -hmm. It is extremely formal. It's extremely like focused on like the the more for perhaps macabre. Like especially the cathedrals are much more macabre than Italian, which is so aesthetic and has a sense of joy. And it really makes so much sense that like the for in Spanish Catholicism that. The song that Joseph is singing to baby Jesus to rock him to sleep is sad. He's very sad, yeah. Especially when you think about what ends up happening. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's there's certainly a, a foreshadowing there almost, yeah. Yes, it's so poignant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's really, it was a really beautiful choice. I'm so glad I heard that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Me too. I never would have heard that. I know, it's, you know, the good old Spotify rabbit hole for me. Yay. No YouTube this time, just Spotify, but... You know, three yes. hours later. <laughs> Same. That's exactly what happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> this wine is really good. Oh, it yeah. is. It's super Agreed. jammy. You know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is me. It the, the fruit comes the across fruit is, yeah, more. Yeah, definitely fruit forward or whatever. More fruit forward. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because for me, maybe it's because I just had I don't know, but for me, I'm getting evergreen. Hmm. I can see you, I can kind of see that on the nose. It's Christmas. <laughs> it's I, also, the song. I, I also get things like licorice on the nose. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's uh, more floral too than the previous one. Very it's floral. also yeah. a more intense bouquet mm -hmm. in general than the first one. Yeah, there's more going on in mm -hmm. there, and it's and there's more aromatics where you'd be like, oh, I actually yeah. really smell stuff as opposed to searching for what is it I smell. Oh, what is it? Mm -hmm. It's this is a little more. Pungent and not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Some pungent often people think it's smelly feet or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or a good cheese. Yeah. Lindbergh. Or a good cheese. <laughs> but no. Um, and it's a little bigger. 
This is a little bigger. I got a lot of spice on the finish. It's too. darker color. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little spicy on the finish. Mm -hmm. mm. And the fruit is uh, is more forward. The tannins are a little firmer and full on mm -hmm. this too. Yeah. Overall, I mean, I feel like this wine could actually grow mm -hmm. in a certain direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Tossed it in the cellar for a couple years. And it's uh, it, the, the, the first wine maybe feels like, man, drink it now, yeah. ready one to go. Now, yeah. This one certainly can be enjoyed now, but it could be enjoyed a little later. Yeah. yeah. You know, and maybe a little cedar there on the finish cries out for some some grilled meats. Ah, yes, cedar. That was what I was looking for. Spicy and cedar. <laughs> All right, so now we've talked about this wine. Um, let's, uh, okay. oh, we got a couple splashes down before the third wine, and then <laughs> yes. we move on to the third selected. <laughs> Great. I just hate Tempranillo. Oh, you hate it. <laughs> Obviously. You changed from the beginning of the podcast where you loved it. Uh -huh. I love it. Mm -hmm. The dump bucket is empty. Yeah. <laughs> Lady version of a bullfighter song. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Love it. Yay. That was me, right? Yes. <laughs> I was like, I was pretty sure. That um, was uh, the Cantares, but yeah. So this was um, this was Cantares by Turina, um, Joaquin, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. um, who's a romantic uh, composer. Um, and the singer is Teresa Berganza, uh. and um, yeah, so it's all kinds of Spanish going on. Um, the, the composer of Turina, like I don't sing a lot of Spanish music, but um, I, I heard a bunch of his music when I was in my undergraduate, 
and it's just so beautiful. I don't know. He didn't. I don't know how much music he actually wrote. I'm not as familiar with him, but um, the music that he did write, the art song, is just gorgeous. Mm. It's just really gorgeous and um, very dramatic. And all these pieces are very, I don't know, encapsulated. This particular piece is performed. I've heard it sung by a bunch of opera singers. It's just so dramatic. I've heard it tenors and. It is very, very dramatic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I said, see the lady waving the red, you know, cape. Yeah. You well, know, you know, for she, the bull to come <laughs> rushing you know, off. You know, yeah. She, she, everything is like singing and ah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like I, I know, I, again, I'm not super familiar with all of his music, but the songs that I do know all evoke. They all use the ah, like the mm-hmm. you know, the I really. Um, yeah, and it's very effective. I find it, you well, know. Well, it's kind of, in some ways, like, the last piece had a lot of that. So it was, oh, yeah. but different. I did, using that idea of showing emotions through a single vowel or a right. vocalese. Right, uh, Different melodies and, and, and colors and different emotions, but the same idea. I'm going to sing this text, and then I'm going to tell you about how I'm feeling about yeah. it through this vocalese. Right, and I mean, and one of the other pieces I, I sent to Jay was also a vocalese. Like, I feel like a part of the Spanish flavor um, in a lot of the pieces, at least, maybe that I identify with or I gravitate toward, have this element to them. They'll have the text, then they'll have this, like, ah, you know, this mm-hmm. thing that you, you don't need words for. It's this, you just get this kind of um, organic feeling expression yeah. mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing that I noticed about the, the Spanish flavor of it whereas Italian you know Oz they, they feel more constructed these have this sort of um, I don't know inter like um, primal freeness. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And they're, yeah they're, that's a perfect word for yeah. it and it's, they're freer like if it's coming this, from a very deep and authentic place yeah, yeah. especially if they're performed well by someone like Teresa Bergonzo, who's yeah. always yeah. been one of my favorite singers yeah. since I was a little kid. No schlepnitz of that one. No, she can sing anything. Her voice, I mean, it just is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So expressive, so beautiful, so many colors. Oh my god. There's really, I'm trying so to think strong, of, so strong, yeah. so powerful. I'm going to say so grounded. Rich. It sounds grounded. Yeah. Like yeah. she has lots of different Her colors, mother, but they all sound very center founded foundation mm-hmm. and then all those colors come in over top right it's it's exciting for all the right reasons yeah mm-hmm. like not because you're scared of what might happen <laughs> you know? it's not that kind of an exciting voice. right it's not not that not center yeah. yeah as i always say the turn your nervousness into excitement about what you're getting ready to do. <laughs> like, oh, great! This is what excitement feels like. Yay! Terror! <laughs> Teresa. What a beautiful singer she is. Mm-hmm. I love her. Well, and um, the, you were talking about the composer. I mean, he's, you know, contemporary with uh, Faya. And, yeah, same thing. And um, a lot of other fam- more famous composers. But one of his standout things is that he he had a decidedly French influence with mm-hmm. a lot of composers. He was encouraged by Ravel and Debussy, and he was a student of um, César, César Franck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though he's 
obviously, when you hear it, I think when you hear it, if you know, you know, Spanish music, and if you learn modality of Spanish mm -hmm. music, you hear that. But it, knowing that he has those influences, I start to go, oh, I can hear some of that in the harmonies mm -hmm. that he's thrown in there. So um, many French people influence. were, yeah, were Francisco's um, yeah. Like you know, we have a lot of. I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but. Uh, we don't so. know a lot of his music, but we know a lot of people who Same. study mm -hmm. his music. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very, it's just so interesting, isn't it? Um, that French-Spanish connection yeah. mm -hmm. and that era, especially. Yeah. Right. But you definitely hear, hear the, the French influence in his music. And also, a lot of, at least the art songs that I'm familiar with, have huge pianistic components. Um, some of them have like big solos and it's just this like, I don't know, the, the intermarriage of the voice like and the, and the piano together um, is pretty strong in his pieces. Mm. This page I've been winding the clock. I know, yes. <laughs> Roger would be happy. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with everything you said. I, it was, I mean, when you give me multiple selections, ladies, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Then you fall down the rabbit hole. I don't, hole. because I don't have to fall down <laughs> the right. rabbit hole. I just have to make like these decisions, right. and um, they're tough. But they, they're, they're made for a reason. And as I said, yeah. clearly I made this one partially because juxtaposing it against what Paige's selection mm -hmm. of and those different uses of the vocalese mm -hmm. and them being completely different eras and completely yeah. different levels of development, you know. Um, it's not to say that one anyone is better or worse. It's just one has, you know, clearly gone through. It's composed later, so it's, you know, on the backs of all that earlier musical development that it uh, shines. Yeah. Is there a Portuguese wine? Oh, there are plenty of Portuguese well, wines. Port. I, I have some in my. Port. Well, port is what they're most this, famous yeah, for. Yeah. But they have yeah. lots of still wines that are From coming the, too, and I've got. From the Douro region. Yeah, I probably have a good, well which is a, that, rip, that river that I was talking about, Ribera mm -hmm. Duero, it goes over there as well. And so, good old Iberian but, Peninsula. Yeah, but the, uh, um, yeah, I, I probably have, uh, I could have as many as a dozen Portuguese wines in my cellar. Not that many, but it's certainly worth exploring. Yeah. There are they're good. They're, they're just not they're, as well known. They're up and coming. They're not as well known. And I'm just saying, like maybe we need to have a, a future podcast. So mm. it's not like there's no music, right? It's true. Oops. Well, thanks for dropping the hint so subtly. <laughs> you know. No, I'm I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I said, sometimes I'm like, gosh, what is my next theme gonna be? I don't want to repeat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have we repeated rosés, but that's okay. Yeah. We'll probably repeat other things, but it's. Nice to do new things. Mm -hmm. and that was one of the reasons why I did choose Tempranillo for this one yeah. because we hadn't done it, and it is, it is, well, they they produce a lot. They produce mm -hmm. three hundred and like seventy million bottles annually. So wow. that's not mm -hmm. not chump change in yeah. worlds of wine. And and I'm sorry, that's just Rioja. Yeah, yeah, that's just the Rioja. Is this Spain we're talking about? Yeah. yeah, yes. We're back to Spain. Yeah, like the podcast. Well, because you were talking about wine. <laughs> so, so does that mean that your basic bossy Jess 
And basic bossy <laughs> from leather. Exactly. The other thing we can do, since you said Portugal, is we could not do still wines. Well, or we, we could, do port. but we could we also do port. a port okay. I'm podcast. Down. Oh, you, you don't, you don't like, like port? Oh, you know what? You can say let you me don't allow, like port. You, yeah, let me allow can. this podcast to teach me something. There about you go. About, I yeah. like port. I think I'd probably need to But you probably had crappy port. I mm-hmm. bet you need I to have some good port. I, and then I do hang out with the pretty <laughs> low-brow people. <laughs> where you are, you are basic, basic bossy Jess. So. Yeah. so I'm sure the port I've been served has been <laughs> <Is> basic. Less <laughs> than appealing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... I have no idea what you've been tasting, but <laughs> most most people's first experience with wine in general is not positive. Yeah. Most people's first experience with wine is they go to a wedding. <laughs> yes, um, they exactly. Go to a wedding, I was fourteen, and um, and they go to a wedding and they're like, "I'm going to try some wine," and you know, in our age, I'm just going to say in our age because we're we're all at least 10 years into drinking age, (laughs) I hope. More More than, but yes. (laughs) So if we're at least 10 years into drinking age, I can back up 10 years and say most of the wine 10 plus years ago that was being served at most weddings would have been not that well made, Mm. you know? Because that's, let's face it, you know, it's like in the story in the Bible about Jesus, you know, most people... You know, serve the bad wine at the wedding, and you know, they serve the good wine anyway. really early, and then they serve the bad wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in, in our country, it tends to be the maybe the, the the bride and groom or the family get the good wine, and like everybody else gets <laughs> yeah, the, the sludge. Thing. You know, yeah. it's something I, at my job. It's something I work really hard at is to make sure that the wines that are served at our event bars are all good, mm. even if I'm paying very little. They have to really meet a high standard for me, so it's difficult at times. But um. But not everybody puts in that work and does that search. So it, your first experience with wine can be a bad one. And by the same token, it can be that way with uh, port too, um, you know, or anything else, Madeira mm-hmm. or sherry yeah. or I love to use Madeira beer, I you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If you, do you like Madeira to drink? I'm not sure. Okay, if only if you, you do, then you would like port. Good with cooking fair enough um so we should talk yeah, about wine number three because i'm almost oh, yeah. finished with well i'm three, finished right? i polished that baby oh, no. off oh, is it that is, bad it is that delicious horrible. okay so no so i loved it i loved it yeah no it's my favorite so far so good we so only have three I know. so right, thank you um but yeah no it, it had to me it had the most complexity and yet was still the most well balanced um, between acidity and fruit, and yes. and it also had more earthiness, I feel like, than the other two had. Like, even on the nose, I got like some mushroom and you know, like yummy mushroom. See, on the like, nose, I got milk chocolate, almond, <laughs> and coconut, and thought almond joy. <laughs> and I'm not wow, lying. You guys oh, totally well, not. Well, I you know I, I don't like coconut, so I didn't try to smell that in it. <laughs> I don't try to smell things. I, I smell them. I also do get other things, but that was one of my first impressions. Like, mm. that is unbelievable. I got mushrooms, so that's weird. Um, it's so earthy, low But it seems to combine, like, the good things about wine one and the good things about wine two. Yes. And then kind of, yeah, it just it, felt very it balanced. Yeah, over the edge, right? Yeah. yeah, I agree. Mm. 
By that, I, I'm, I'm thinking you mean it's a bigger bodied wine. Correct. The tannins are a little bit less in, less brash, mm -hmm. but there, it has more tannins than the, than first, the wine, first wine. For but sure. not as brash as wine number two. Finish is better. Mm -hmm. Has a little bit of the spiciness. The fruit is not as quote unquote jammy. I think from you. Yeah, that's what it says. With, but it had, but because it has a little better acidity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Finish is really nice on it. Mm -hmm. I really like this one a lot. I love it. So everyone likes wine number one, three. Yeah, that's so the choice. That's a clear <laughs> winner. Of wine number three. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna pour. Because Heather's not here. I know. She would have, she would have chosen for one. Yeah, you never know. One. You never know. She yeah. switches up a The real thing to say is, Jess, could you drink this wine all day? Yes, I could. <laughs> yeah. I could drink all day and all night. Honestly, <laughs> all of these, I I would be happy to have a case of. Okay. She's I'm not offering, just so you know. <laughs> well, we don't even have a case of them, so. <laughs> well, when you get your hands on one, let me know. I know, know. occasionally. Right. occasionally. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll remember that. So I'll go ahead and um, I'll pour you all number three while mm, we listen yeah. to our, uh, our fourth selection.
That was ridiculous. Mm, that was right? amazing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what was that glorious piece of music? That was, that is just Spain, right? Mm -hmm. That is every, um, that is Granados from, uh, so he wrote this piano suite in 1911 <laughs> called Goyescas, which many of us know about. And I, so I have a complicated relationship with this piece because I, <laughs> Joe, actually, my husband, who's a pianist, won a piano competition playing this art, this piece from that piano suite. Oh, wow. And so I remember sitting in a beautiful gallery in New York hearing him play this, and mm. it was like a very meaningful moment. But then, on the other hand, um, I've always heard it as a vocal piece. Oh. Yeah. So it was just so interesting to have that, you know, those layers. But the interesting thing um, about this is that later, after he wrote the piano suite, I think it was about five years later, he decided to um, set the text of a Spanish poet and um, write an opera <laughs> about Goyescas, which is a series of tableaus based on so one -act art. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, based on. Um, Paintings of Goya. Oh, wow. And um, all kinds of Spanish. Yeah, so he took the piano suite and you know, just oh. exploded it out yes. to make the opera. Mm -hmm. Which I feel works incredibly well. I mean, I, I don't know how pianists feel about it. <laughs> because, you know, they yeah. learn. I, I think maybe Joe would have a different opinion, or maybe he wouldn't, but it's so powerful. And this is, of course, I think it's cool how we've had like a series of all, really many of the famous Spanish singers, mm -hmm. right? So we, had, we started with Montserrat Caballé mm -hmm. with a piece that was written in the same era as this, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So Puccini and Granados were around the same time, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had mm -hmm. Teresa, and then mm -hmm. we had a very classic Spanish like folk tune, mm -hmm. actually. And now we're ending with Victoria de Oh, yeah, Montserrat Cavier. We started with her. Yeah, Montserrat Figueres. Right, and then we have. Victoria de Yeah. Hat is one of my most favorite singers. I think that there's something just so authentic and haunting, but like solid. All the things we were kind of saying about Teresa Bergonza. In fact, there's kind of a similar color there. Um, just move it up a third. <laughs> yes, but this is so high. Yeah. You can tell right. this is such a high. But I've been listening to it forever, and I just I can't get enough of it. I could mm. listen to it like I could drink Tempranillo all day long. I could yeah. listen to this. Yeah, I, I've probably listened to this eight or nine times. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. It's just hauntingly amazing. It is, and um. Which painting is it? Is it based on? It's the third tableau. I'm okay. not sure which painting it is, but it's called the Aria of the Nightingale. Mm. Um, look that up. And actually, um, this opera was indirectly responsible. If we can draw a little bit of a, this is um, grasping at straws a little mm -hmm. bit but indirectly responsible for Granados' death, death because oh. this opera was premiered at the Metropolitan Opera mm. in 1916. And the success of the opera was astonishing, like everyone loved it, mm. okay? 
And um, Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at the time, mm -hmm. invited Granados to come to the White House mm -hmm. and give a performance of the piano suite, some of his piano works, whether mm -hmm. it was Goyescas or not, I don't know. But when he was on his way home, it was during the First World War, on his way home, his ship was torpedoed by a German U-boat, and that's how he and his wife died. What, what boat was he on? Was the it a Sussex. The Sussex. Okay. Interesting. Wow. So how crazy is that, That's right? Nice. Yeah, that is. Well, it's, it's interesting. So this could be a whole podcast in and of itself. So I won't like <laughs> delve too much podcast. No, no. Like, but about Spain, like I feel like Spain is always sort of the, like, not, I wouldn't say like the stepchild of Europeans, but like, you know, you, and I've been to Spain. My my uh, cousin lives in Spain. Uh, he and his wife. His wife is from Madrid, and so I went to their wedding there. And I loved it, but I wasn't there for very long. But I feel like you know, in wine, even like Spanish wine, like a lot of people are like, oh, Spanish wine. It's not as good as French wine, and it is just as good. It's mm -hmm. just different. Um, and and all it's and it has much better value here in the U.S. because it's not as well known. And I feel like the same with Spanish composers and Spanish artists and Spanish yeah. singers, like. Everybody's like, oh, the Italians, or so it's interesting. Like they have, they have this amazing culture, and I feel like even in the it's arts, so like it's very mm -hmm. rich, but and substantive. There's yes. a lot yes. there. There's a lot of room for like. There's just it's so such an old and um, very well maintained culture. They are very serious about it. Yeah. They take it yeah. very seriously. Yeah, and I feel like here in the U.S., like we don't. I don't know if we just aren't exposed to it as much, or that may be it. You know, because they're like well, like, some yeah. of it is. Some of it is in, in our country. I'd say a large part of it is the, our the dominant culture for our lives in the United States right. has not come yeah. from well, Spain, France, right. France, and Britain, France, France and Britain. Britain. Uh, yeah. Germany, even Scandinavians, yeah, and Italians, Ireland. more came here than the Spanish. Now, to be right. fair, now, I'm from California. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Well, a much say, bigger Spanish. Right, but that's right. come up from Mexico. South Central Dude. America, so like, which has right. been growing yeah. in the last 20 to 40 years in our country. But that is the Spanish culture through a whole different development that's come in. So it's not even the same culture really as mm -hmm. Iberian mm -hmm. Spanish culture mm -hmm. so it's it's very different um, and so yeah I totally and Spain is so fascinating because it's so um, influenced by Moorish culture there's mm -hmm. so yeah. like it's especially so the farther south yeah. you go like it there's just so much there it's mm -hmm. a while it's, it's yeah so this this just tells me Jay we have to you know Make a plan to go visit Jeff and Sara in Madrid in sure. for so, you know, a couple weeks. <laughs> I want to go back to something you were talking about early on about the piece, though, about the piano piece versus the yes. vocal setting that you yes. heard. And again, I'll I'll start this by saying I agree with you. I'm not a pianist. I don't know how pianists feel about it. But if I were going to look at it even objectively from not being a singer like oh we get to sing you know so it's wonderful <laughs> but if i just looked at it from the standpoint that this came later by the same composer it was an orchestrated piece as well it wasn't just now i'm going to set 
text to it with piano. He's fully orchestrating this now. In a way, I would look at that even from just an outsider perspective of, it's not Russell Time Dogs, as in the piano is almost like my sketchings mm -hmm. and the fully orchestrated is the painting. Yeah. And it's not that the sketchings don't have value, they have great value, but I, I would look at a painting by an artist of the same scene or setting, and I would, which is interesting because of the subject of this is paintings. Yeah. As I would look back at the piano and go, if I was a pianist, I'd look at what was written for the piano and go, well, now that I know what the painting looks like and what the artist's vision was, how can I bring more of that into these sketches? Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting that you say that because when I whenever I look at a piece that's been orchestrated, if it's orchestrated by somebody other than the composer, then you view it through a different lens than if the composer themselves later on orchestrate their own piece. Because in their mind, you know, it is like fleshing out a sketch. That's a really good metaphor for it. Because it's their own, they have already had this kind of aural like feeling for the piece. So they're able to orchestrate it in a way that makes sense with what they've always heard, you know. so. Versus like pictures at an exhibition, which is another oh, great mm -hmm. example yes. of an important piece that was originally a piano piece, mm -hmm. right? And then was orchestrated later by a different composer. And both are extremely powerful and yeah. both are about artwork, yeah. which is so interesting, right? That Maybe we need to have a Russian. No, we should have a Russian. Although I don't know oh that we would want to drink Russian, Russian wine. Vodka. Yeah, we can drink vodka. We can yeah. Vodka. We can have like a little, yeah. you know, we can, we can have a foray. Into I love little... Russian music, so I'm down with this. If so totally down. Or we could do like Russian music and pair it with but it's... some kind of obscure. We could do like you know Bulgarian wine, which is actually good. It's interesting <laughs> though, Russian music. looking at like paintings though. If you're looking at music influenced by paintings. That's a whole nother subject in and of itself. A lot oh, right. of people sort of created music based on paintings. Mm -hmm. Yes, inspired um, by exactly. WC, of course. Of course. Uh -huh. We have, um, ima of course, his image. Um, piano, uh, well, that's not for singers, though. We'll have some ideas. Well, yeah. right, but I mean, yeah. like, that one is like, oh, there's plenty of wines that have, like, paintings on them. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Which <laughs> like, is probably a lot better than, like, totally I had one idea at one point that I threw out the window, which was, oh, I could do, like, you know, critter wines with, you know, songs about, you know, animals. animals? But I was like, critter <laughs> wines critter tend wines to are be. Bad. Right. So I was like, mm. no. Good idea for a theme, but not a very enjoyable night yeah. for a podcast. <laughs> so are we going to have our wine review? Because yes, I really want to know what number yes, three is. Yes, I do too. <laughs> or maybe I don't want to know what number three is. Fair enough. All right, so um, wine number one. Number one. We need This is uh, Cune uh, Rioja Crianza. Uh, okay. uh, 2014. Mm -hmm. So Crianza again means minimum aged uh, in the barrel of one year. Now, one of the things I'd like to point out is um, that they don't. They never say when they say one year in barrel if it's new oak. If it, it, there's nothing in the regulations that say it has to be new oak, it can be used or a oak. certain barrel. It's just one year. Correct. It, it's just okay. one year of age. Mm -hmm. So the nice part there is. 
that gives that winemaker flexibility and you're not getting complete uniformity mm -hmm. across all wines in um, in a category. So for this one, uh, it was aged for, uh, well, first of all, it's a blend. It's not 100% Tempranillo. It's 85% Tempranillo and 15% a blend of Grenache Tinta and uh, Mazuelo, remember I Mazuelo. couldn't remember, yep. but they don't tell you the breakdown of the 15% okay. between the two, so that's so great and nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's um it's in American oak barrels for a year, but again, they don't tell you if they've New been American used oak. before or yeah, not, but oak. I'm yeah. going to say it's probably they've been used before, mm -hmm. because if it was new American oak for a year and it's this young, it would be much more tannic. Yeah. So probably they, they've been at least used once before, if not twice, because mm -hmm. I don't think it's neutral oak, which would be once they've right. already been used three years. So okay. just guessing a little bit on that, um, because they don't give you all that information. They keep, mm -hmm. keep the secret recipe all the yeah. KFC. Right. Mm -hmm. well, so, yeah. The secret sauce. Yes, the secret sauce mm -hmm. for McDonald's fans. So wine number two is mm -hmm. Cruz de Alba. Oh, okay. Which is a Tempranillo, 100% Tempranillo, and that's from the uh, Ribera de Duero, so mm -hmm. the other primary region we talked about. Which is in north, in the it's, north of it's, it. Well, it's also in in north, but it's a little further south and a little further west of Rioja, which is basically north central yeah. uh, Spain. Okay, and I'm looking yeah, up I a think, map. I want yeah. to see this on a map. I think Ribera del Duero is closer to Madrid. So. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, this is um, 15 months in a barrel, so more than a year, and 10 months in the bottle, so less than a year. Right. So it's like, it's not like a Crianza because, yes, it is at least a year. Again, it's mm -hmm. at least a year, but it's not a year in the bottle. So they couldn't call this a Crianza. Mm -hmm. It's not even in the Ruaha region, but it's not even truly in that. Same vein, yeah. if you will. Same level. Um, so this is the newer region that you were talking. So this about? is like the, the mm -hmm. right, the less lesser known well, region, I guess we should say. And um, they they do use predominantly French new oak for this, um, with some American oak, which is again we talked about this having a little more stronger tannins, which probably is because it's newer oak. Um, and again. This is a 2013, mm -hmm. so and it was released in 2016. So you know it is somewhere around in between the idea of a Crianza and maybe a Reserva in the in the concept, but it's not one of those at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it distinctively shows you what can be what can happen for Tempranillo outside of the Rioja region in Spain. And price point wise? Ah, sorry. The um, the uh, first wine, the Coon Crianza, mm -hmm. is probably around ten to twelve dollars. Oh, nice. And the uh, the one you at first was like all day long. So you might have <laughs> yeah. been four to that, yeah, exactly. I can uh, handle it. <laughs> the second wine, wine number two, uh, the Cruz de Alba uh, Rivera del Duero, uh, that is probably more like fifteen to eighteen dollars a bottle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number three, which we all love. Number three, which is your favorite. Yeah, of course. Clear winner. Yeah. The clear winner is the uh, uh, La Rioja Alta Vina Alberni Reserva. Uh, so Reserva. it's the next level up after Cretanza. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 2010, if I didn't oh, yeah. say 2010. 
So, but of course, it's already going to immediately have at least one extra year mm -hmm. over a Crianza okay. because it's required for one year in oak minimum and a minimum two, two years, years in the bottle. Um, this is uh, kind of a current release and it's not uncommon for Spanish wines to hold in the bottle maybe longer and release because there's almost this philosophy of we want to release our wine at a time when it can just be drank. It might be drank or hold, not just you have to hold it. Mm -hmm. And because there is that requirement to age in wood and that requirement, you know, to use Tempranillo as a primary grape, which again, we said was high tannic, sometimes it's better to let those sit for a while, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons they do regulate and release later. This actually though, for a Reserva, has two years in American oak barrels, not one. The first year is new oak, and the second year is in uh, barrels that average three years of age. Oh, so so if more. you take yeah. the idea of when you use new oak, you're getting like 100%. Mm -hmm. If you use second year, you're getting roughly 50%. If you're using three year, you're getting roughly 25%. Mm -hmm. So they start with new, and then the second year, they move it over to barrels that have been used twice before, so it's a little, quite a bit stepped down. So you're not getting tons of new oak, but mm -hmm. a fair amount. And then, um, then uh, they bottled it in 2013 and released it in 2016. So age two years in oak yeah. and age three years in the bottle, oh, that yeah. technically you might think would be a Grand Reserva, but part of it, if you may recall, was about the level of grapes that they used. Right. So this didn't have that Grand top tier of grape loose. So, gotcha. But that gives you an idea of there but are people, if you tasty. do your research around this Reserva level, mm -hmm. you might have some people not maybe taking that top echelon of the grapes, but using the same kind of care and aging in both barrel and bottle to achieve some wines. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a Reserva that I think really Oh, this is very, nice, very what's, delicious. What's the price point on this? Um, <laughs> 20 to 25 dollars. Oh, that's not bad. We can handle that. Yeah. I could drink that all day long too. Half the day. Yeah. Half the oh, day. yeah, half the day. Okay. And then the From 10 to 12 dollar the rest no. of the day. <laughs> but I mean, you, that's, I mean, when you consider. That's no, totally great. That's a great know, point. Yeah. I, I, there's actually a, an analogy I was thinking of when I thought of, when I was talking about how they use the, you know, techniques but maybe not have the grapes there are there are many chefs who talk about you know oftentimes you know you can go out and pick steaks if you can see them and you can look at the marble and often there's marbling that's on the edge between choice and prime for mm -hmm. beef mm -hmm. and if you are really able to look at the steaks you can be like oh i'm going to save you know five ten twelve dollars a pound whatever it is depending on the cut and get these choice steaks mm -hmm. because I can see it's right at that cusp almost, of prime, yeah. and yeah. in that way, it's like when you get some wines mm -hmm. like the one we just enjoyed—that's a Reserva. It's, it's really kind of right there at the cusp of a Grand Reserva. So. Yeah. Yay! 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 Tempranillo! Yay! Tempranillo! So awesome! What a yeah. wonderful podcast! Yeah. Today. It didn't suck. No. <laughs> So uh, our playout song chosen by Heather when she uh, called out sick. Um, <laughs> this is a f maybe we're just breaking all the rules tonight. Um, well, I just didn't have time to keep going on. You know, I called in my mom, etc. So um, she uh, submitted a uh, a song by a male singer, which again 
Breaking wow, all the rules. Break the rules. <laughs> what? Um, so here you go. She says, I love Andy Williams. And I, this is Heather, right? Mm -hmm. And I love hearing him sing. And with all the crap going on in the world, hmm. we need more love. Hmm. And so. There we go. Can't argue with that. Yeah. This is her play out song. <laughs>